Hi Jürgen, welcome back. Hi Adam, thanks for taking up with me again. <laughs> what, 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 what I think today, I will always say yes, regardless what you are telling me, because I saw your Twitter avatar, your Twitter picture, mm -hmm. and it looks like you are hitting a poor guy with your feet, right? No, I'm hitting the piece of wood he is holding over his head. <laughs> ah, okay, because uh, it looks like a lot of dust coming down to him and he looks really scared. So I think if you are now the, the, the chair of OSGI, it will be a great success. Because regardless what you are doing, no one will say no. Yes, and I will beat everybody into submission who <laughs> does not agree with me. Very good. So, this is this is how you know how, how politics are working. So we need you and then yes. everything is straight. Um so that's that's the plan. <laughs> what martial art are you doing? Uh Taekwondo. Ah, okay. For like 25 years now and uh but it's so-called traditional Taekwondo meaning we are doing it without contact. Also so not the Olympic version where you really have this full body protection and uh beat yourself up in, in free fights. Uh, this but but, but Taekwondo without contact is like running without sweating, right? <laughs> yeah, you sweat a lot. Uh, now it's more about uh, body control uh, when mm -hmm. you're training there. So there so is no, really I mean, no body contact at all. I mean, how it, uh, in one time you have to do something, right, with the other guy, or yeah, just now we we do this then with uh, stones or wood, and hey. uh, this is how we. This do is a so uh, safe, right? Sport then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's not really the one and a half meters uh, distance we have. It's more like the a couple of centimeters. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, we try to achieve. Uh, yeah, but it's it's not really the, the main focus is not on self defense. It's more of train your body, uh, train your soul. Okay. So more like yoga. So. Yes, a bit, yeah, like yoga, but you, you can use it for self-defense if push comes to okay. <laughs> so. Which uh, color of your belt do you have, if this is relevant for traditional Taekwondo? Yeah, yeah black belt, uh, and uh, we have this this degrees for the black belts, and I have uh, this, the second degree there okay. for like 15 years now, so I have to, I'm, I'm kind of working towards doing my third degree for like five years now. Okay, and what <laughs> and, do you have to do? But do I just have the third one? Uh, basically, you have to find somebody who agrees to test you. So, uh, but how you can fight him without thing. touching him? Now, in, in this case, you you basically you show off that you understand what you are doing. You are showing it off by we, we have so called uh, as we have a form of free fight. We have a form of uh, um, demonstrations where you just show it close to your opponent. But uh, yeah, you. You pull your punches basically all the time. Okay. Um, while, while you're doing it, and somebody else around it could say, hey, "If you wanted it, this might have been a hit." So ah, so you need good judges. Yes. So it's it's usually a bit iffy <laughs> doing it like this because sometimes like, okay, I wanted to hit. As if I wanted to uh, to really hit him, I would have. Please, why did you give me the point? But uh, ah, okay. Yeah, this, this is not the this is not the main main part. So we don't have that many tournaments where you really need to show off things like this. So you really do it more for yourself. Yeah, interesting. So, and it's really a, a healthy way to to train your body because most of the things we are doing are also you can find in uh, physiotherapy and things like this. So because this is the, the way Taekwondo is is doing its stuff, uh, it's close to what karate does. Uh, it's it's really well defined for your body and your your joints and everything, and it's really healthy actually. So okay, we have really low risk of uh, injury. Okay, so now back to unhealthy OSGI. <laughs> <laughs> which That's damages the same thing with <laughs> yeah which damages your back because you you have you know to deal with more yeah i'm sitting all the time yeah that's yeah uh, <laughs> but um 
we get lots of feedback actually, or feedback, some some reactions on Twitter uh, about our discussion regarding modules and uh, and J Java nine modules and whatever. But I thought about you know how to how to deal with modules in the clouds because this would be should be topic for today. Mm -hmm. And uh, from my perspective is and so um, if you if you listen what happens so in the world right now, so people are talking about microservices, then Kubernetes and whatever. But uh, the question is why, right? So why they are doing the stuff? And um, and my impression is uh, they would like to fight the complexity by mm -hmm. isolating, you know, uh, Java packages, let's say, to independent something. And because it works the best in their eyes, they distribute the system and have to use uh, remote protocols to, to call, you know, the microservices. And uh, so they get a uh, lots of overhead, which means the entire system becomes more complex because now you have to deal with uh, distributed, uh, 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 how to call it, dis distributed failures and uh, inconsistencies and partial failures and uh, and you know uh, distributed transactions and Paxos maybe or or Zagas, which are uh, you know like uh, um, the um, how to call it compensative transactions. So, but um, what the another direction could be say okay i could isolate my stuff running a monolith and inside the monolith i can have my stuff and uh and and this stuff is also isolated or somehow logically separated and um and this is my observation right now that we have actually two choices we can run kubernetes with or kubernetes like container orchestrator it doesn't have to be kubernetes it can be uh, uh, you know, whatever uh, Docker Compose okay, or, or whatever you, you have, or yeah, whatever yeah. It, uh, and, and yeah. but um, um, or we can rem um, we can still you know remember that we are in the Java space and we can have a nice application which is internally separated. So it's also you know the idea, your idea, or what's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, my thoughts are basically as. Whatever, also I have the feeling there are two types of, of uh, people. So the one that they are doing microservices because everybody is doing microservices, it's more like a cargo cult there. Um, but so, so ignoring them, uh, the, the, the most arguments I've seen for the current idea behind microservices is that it's more like also they, they want the, the advantages of modularity so this encapsulation, and you can have different teams providing different services, you can have multiple versions and things like this. Um, and the way Martin Fowler described microservices with, uh, you have a Docker container with, uh, with an, an API outside it, um, is basically the same, also the, the picture for these kind of modules looks similar to what, for example, a bundle in OCI is defined. Mm -hmm. So you have these two boxes, your two services, and they communicate with, with, with services in between that are comprised of some kind of API. Um, so they want to achieve the same thing, but by different means. Um, and I believe the main thing came out of it because modularity, when you do it on JVM level, uh, appears to be too complex mm -hmm. and when you do the um oci is a bit uh, for example in the comparison uh, you, you have a lot of complexity in advance uh because you have to set all these things up you have to understand what you're doing there and it becomes the complexity does not grow as fast as in any other system over time so this is the basic 
takeaway I've gotten from from working with it for years. Do, doing the the microservice approach, um, the the couple of companies do right now. So everybody is developing its independent service in a Docker container, and this is every, you can do basically whatever you want in there. So which can uh, yield quick results. And the complexity comes when you take this bigger containers and stick them together because you have what what you already mentioned. You uh, and you you have delays in between you have a distributed system and all that heap that comes along with this mm-hmm. um there it is getting so. even worse because if you think about this if you would really like go the container route so to say a small let's say container services what you will get you will have one docker container but actually two because you because you need a, some kind of failover so you will need a load balancer up front with a SSL certificate and DNS name, mm-hmm. and you will always call the DNS load balancer. So it means you know the other Docker services will have to know about the load balancer, and the traffic will flow through the load balancer to the Docker image. So I would say the real complexity is not about Docker; is um, around the infrastructure around. Uh, like DNS name, SSL uh, certificates, and or TLS certificates, and and security of course, uh, you know firewalls and 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 fire and security groups and stuff like that. Yeah. But if we have one monolith, let's say, we don't have it. Mm-hmm. So then we have uh, then we have one load balancer and uh, and two instances, and we are basically done. So I would say, from the yeah. complexity and productivity productivity perspective, it's great. I think that's totally correct because uh, yes, you have some of the complexity like SSL and things like this. You have to take care of a monolith as well. But uh, what I see when you have your um, microservice environment uh, with, with something like Kubernetes, mm-hmm. you place the load, uh, the, the 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 pressure on, uh, which is usually on the application developer side. You just outsource it to your DevOps team because how services speak with each other, how they are routed, how all these things work is usually something done in ty- inside your, your application in your my, uh, in your monolith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so you need to, as a developer, need to think about when you're calling what, so how, how much pressure does this put on, on your internal service and things like this. So this is then the development team's job. And uh, now it's more like, yeah, we just throw out this microservice and uh, yeah, the DevOps team will take care of it. Okay, so we just moved your, your internal logic to some external uh, team. Yeah, it's even worse because in in Kubernetes, uh, my observation is the DevOps people are the developers and what they always do, they use a kind of, I would say, template language to generate the Kubernetes uh, uh, deployment descriptors, which is, by the way, way worse than OSGI deployment descriptors. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a huge fan of OSGI bundles, but I mean, I would rather do the OSGI bundle and generate them somehow with Maven before I write, you know, the YAML in Kubernetes. And uh, you can have Helm chart, which is very similar to JSPs, I would say. So so, something like this, Mm -hmm. which uh, which is not nice, I would say, put it this way. Or uh, some developers write their own generators. But um, st- still aside, whatever it is, there can be different reasons. Uh, of course, some develop, some projects need to scale, which is completely different uh, discussion. But from the uh, modularity mm-hmm. perspective, also interesting finding. Um, in a recent project, there was a Whitefly project, and uh, they need, have to mm-hmm. go to the cloud, and they had several microservices awards already. And uh, we said, okay, uh, we can pick just an Ophaget. It's easier than uh, Kubernetes. And then they say, okay, uh, then they wanted, you know, to have one microservice per war. 
which would work, but we would get uh, lots of tasks and all the uh, questions I um, uh, or the questions, the challenges we, we we mentioned right now would happen. And I asked them, you know, mm -hmm. it is a critical system. So if something breaks in a microservice, will you? What is your process? Can you actually replace one microservice? You know, do you have a branch per microservice, or what's your internal structure? And it turned mm -hmm. out that they are releasing everything at once anyway. So I say, okay, if you if you're Which, releasing the entire application, why, why, what what is actually the advantage to running multiple microservices which are potentially replaceable, but uh, but but there is no process to replace them. And what we did then, uh, we can have, um, it's hard to explain. So we have one node, physical node, with five Docker images on it, and they communicate via localhost. So there is, there is, you know, it's not like we're going outside through the load balancer. Everything is in one thing, and mm -hmm. uh, there's the load balancer in between. So we have two tasks with five microservices, but the microservices are local to the machine. Very, very much like a pod in Kubernetes, which works well. There is no failover between microservices, but uh, the idea is if one if something is wrong in one one uh, process, we get failover to another mm -hmm. one, right? Of course, um, the microservices there are just there because they were there. It doesn't make any sense to have such a thing, you know. Then the next thing would be to merge all the wars to one war because why we should communicate via localhost? It doesn't make any sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but this is for historical reasons. What I wanted just to explain to you, the expectation in the project was that we will run multiple microservices and I asked some questions and it didn't make any sense to have uh, some microservices because... Yeah, because that's the cargo cult I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and in this particular, okay, we have Whitefly, there will be never OSGI because we have Whitefly, but uh, the opposite would be, let's say, uh, if we have uh, OSGI, we could run you know, the uh, very similar architecture without the wars. We have a thing which is called OSGI runtime or whatever, and we mm -hmm. can put the modules and potentially we could replace one version with another if, if you like. And if not, mm -hmm. we would be very productive with low complexity because we don't have to deal with the infrastructure. And the infrastructure yeah. is, if you, if you don't have Kubernetes, you still have to need to you know, you have to think about the naming, the ports, how the services talk to each other, you know, you have yeah. to deploy the Docker container first. A lot of overhead comes yeah. around. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you have to push the container first and then start the cluster, otherwise the cluster will wait. So, so there is a lot of operational complexity, I would say, you have to care about. Mm -hmm. And uh, with uh, OSGI, you could actually avoid it or reduce it to one app. Yeah, let's 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 uh, an example uh, of of something that, that we did in the past or we do from time to time. So we usually start with a, a monolith uh, or the so-called modulith or microservice monolith, uh, however you want to call it. So we we have our OSGI modules uh, in, inside our big application, and as they already follow the concept, the, the basic idea and concepts behind uh, modularity in general, um, you you already work with with independent parts that communicate via services. These services are dynamic, which means you always need to, even if they actually don't in reality, uh, but you can always see them emerging and going away, especially in your development process. So I've told you before, we can, uh, I develop something, I save my piece of code, so the jar gets redeployed and my service goes away, my service comes back. So while you are developing, you basically kind of start bulletproofing your application already for that's if something fails. So at least in the sense that everything has a decent, graceful shutdown when something goes away and not simply crashes and produces exceptions. So which means in the end, yes, 
uh, when, when you always accept that everything needs to be there in order to work, then things are simply not there, but you have nothing which can produce errors. So, But you already have the mindset that things are not necessarily be there all, all the time. So then over time, your, your application grows and you have something like, I would say, well, a user service, which on every login asks for the user and does some interaction with, with your, your data model. And, that is, uh, so, and your monolith grows and grows and grows. And at a certain point, you realize, hmm, and now it would be great. Also this, this one component is, has really heavy load. So it, it would be great to, to have a second instance to, to split the load for, for this specific part or whatever it is there. And um, then you can take out this one component, move this to a different container with load balancing and whatever you want, and you already have all the mechanisms in place. Meaning your, your application already can live with that the user service might not be there for a moment or that there might be multiple user services and things like this. And it doesn't need to, you don't need to change your mindset with the moment you take this step. And this is one of the biggest advantages. So you develop your monolith and uh, then you can start taking parts out, so which is actually rare <laughs> in, yeah. in for, for most applications. So um, in the IoT world, it's something different, but there are all these concepts apply as well. So uh, what? Okay, this was the you know the general ideas about monolith versus microservices or distributed monolith. So um, is there any particular support or? Clouds in OSGI. So, is there because we talk a lot about you know the uh, services, uh, OSGI services and OSGI modules last time, and uh, mm. we 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 uh, stopped talking you know about the remoting and whatever. So, um, does OSGI offer something specific to the clouds, or I wouldn't really tell specific to cloud. Um... OCI itself does not care where it's running, if it's bare metal or somewhere in a Docker container or something. What we have, though, is a um, small recap from, from last time. Uh, we, we have our modules. The modules communicate via services. These services are as strongly decoupled as possible, means they know maybe the, the, the only connection between two, two bundles is the service interface, which might be living in, uh, uh, in a different bundle. Um, and in between you, you have the service registry, which acts as a broker. So it, the framework provides this registry. I, as a service provider, tell the registry, hey, if somebody comes around and wants something with this interface, uh, I have the instance for you. So and then somebody else comes around and says, I need something like the payment provider of, of this and this type, uh, service, registry, service registry, please tell me who has this. So this is inside the framework. And you can distribute this, uh, distribute this system, meaning that you, uh, we call it the, the remote service or remote service ad admin uh, is, the called, is the name of the specification, which defines a distributed system, meaning that the, um, I as a consumer, I, the only thing I may have in my application as, as real code is the interface, uh, but no implementation. And another framework running somewhere else in another Kubernetes, Docker, or whatever, uh, bare metal somewhere, um, just announces sometimes, hey, if somebody comes around and wants the payment provider, uh, I have an implementation for it. So, And then you have this a discovery mechanism, uh, which says uh, where, where everybody knows where any kind of service would be and how to communicate with it. Uh, and then you can build some kind of proxy in between, which takes care of the remote communication for you. Mm -hmm. So, and this is something we already have, and which makes it really easy to, 
you have to take things out uh, and deploy it somewhere else. And you can even do this at runtime without any restart necessity. So you can have, uh, and you can have a mixture of both. So you have your local services and there comes a third implementation, which is a remote service and it just appears in your system. And for the developer, there is no change in the programming model for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. so, and it works like charm. <laughs> and uh, regarding the protocols, uh, does OSGI offer something specific or are they pluggable? So we can say uh, there is nothing in OSGI, no reference implementation, and you have to plug your protocol of your choice. The, the that's implementation specific. As the the specification itself only describes how the uh, the concepts behind it describes how this discovery mechanism works, which data formats needs to be transferred in this case, um, and which information need to be available. What the protocol is is not defined. It means this is there's for example the uh, one implementation is the Eclipse communication framework. Um, of Scott Lewis, and he has implementations where he does the discovery over, uh, the, ask me, Zookeeper, uh, some some messaging uh, protocols, or directly with some system. Uh, oh, I forgot how is it called. Also, on, on with different protocols and the same thing. And in the end, the the actual remote service communication can be other protocols as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, via REST, for example, or direct HTTP or WebSocket connections. So, and you can basically combine uh, combine this, uh, yeah, uh, to to your heart's content, mm -hmm. the whole thing. So if you want to come up with something you like, especially, uh, you can plug in your own mechanism there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, what um, what I what I thought about was the microprofile REST client, for instance, because this is mm -hmm. what we use use in the cloud all the time. So, um, or, or REST, JAX REST, right? So, uh, because usually it is RESTful. I don't think you will use binary protocols because usually all the load balancers are working on the uh, application level. And if you have something, would like to have something binary, you would you would need to, 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 to use the level four load balancers, which are completely different beasts. So, um, yeah. so this could work. It would be similar architecture to microprofile. We would just, what we are doing, we are injecting interface and there is something like a base URI, and the base URI is the DNS name of the load balancer, which is configured at uh, deploy time, which is more, more more or less stable because the load balancer has an own DNS entry, so it's stable, and uh, you could you could you could inject that. So, but I don't think this is you're doing this very often, right? The remoting, my impression. Um, for it de depends. Um, as for the most business application, this is kind of not really useful. Exactly. I rarely had, uh, like you said, uh, usually a monolith, uh, maybe with a second instance but for failover and the one load balancer in front of it because everything should be stateless there uh, is the way to go. Mm -hmm. um, where we use it quite heavily is we have a couple of uh, I, uh, IoT projects um, where this comes in really, really handy. Uh, because we have a remote service implementation which uses MQTT underneath as a communication protocol. And we have, for example, uh, one of our demo projects we had this was, uh, uh, was that we have a traffic uh, light controller, uh, as meaning so traffic lights and, and everything. And um, we have a system which you can install in each traffic controller on the real hardware uh, in your city. And then it will communicate the statuses of which lights are green and red and everything uh, back to a central system. This is done via remote services via MQTT. 
Um, so we have a central system which basically collects all these remote services which are provided by the individual uh, hardware elements in the field. Um, and yeah, then everything um, can be shown on a map and you can do things with the data you really get from it uh, in basically real time. And we had a funny situation and uh, my, my colleague was uh, developing on her local machine and she was wondering well, with a simulated version of such an uh, traffic, as such an intersection and, and she was looking at her, her UI and following her, where, where is my, my the thing I've just changed something from and uh, on the live system or on our development system <laughs> on the server running you could see her, her intersection popping up and going away every time she saved something and some changes <laughs> so because it was she had the wrong uh, connection settings this is why you are traffic jam now in your city right <laughs> yes yes uh, uh, this is not really uh, <laughs> but yeah <laughs> uh, things like this can happen so but this shows how powerful the system is and how, how easy it actually works so mm -hmm. because you you just implementing against services and the communication in between is taken care of for you if if, if you need it this is what and i see where uh, actually osgi should shine on on real world devices because what i suspect is every device is a little bit different so you can load you know or unload the bundles on demand and automatically adapt to the features right uh, yes, that's the one thing that you can take care of all these hardware specific things and uh, can can basically have a, a automatically uh, more or less uh, detect w which is necessary and then install just the bundles that are required there uh, on the specific hardware. There are also systems out there doing that. Uh, so you can basically have a small agent running on, on each hardware you have. If it's, if it's a Raspberry or somewhere in the field, it just needs to be a small framework which is running there. And then you can have a mechanism which says, uh, similar to what Kubernetes does, uh, hey, I have this application, please put it out in the world. So and then it goes around, looks like, okay, what are, is my hardware underneath? Which, what does it require? And then pulls sell, uh, by itself the bundles uh, and it populates your, your infrastructure, basically. If it's in the field or just your server farm, it uh, doesn't really matter. So, mm -hmm. um, and one question. Basically, that's what, what basically Kubernetes did later on. Yeah, um, actually, uh, something different. Uh, do, you, do you know uh, Romain Manibuko? You've told me about him, and I still uh, have the podcast you had with him on my uh, plate. Yeah, but I haven't. Because he started with now. Java E, and he goes, uh, he tried Kubernetes, was uh, too expensive, and then he uh, experiments a lot with uh, with OSGI, like like Kubernetes inside a JVM. So this is our uh, mm -hmm. ex experience. The last time he he changed the company and couldn't talk about that, but it's really interesting stuff he's doing. So it goes to, to, to your direction. Um, regarding OSGI, what interests me right now, um, let's say we have uh, we have an update of our live system. And we're updating mm -hmm. from version 1 to 1.1, 1, 1, and then we find out that it doesn't work. So we have to roll back to 1.0 again. Is somewhere like, you know, policies or how to call it, like uh, rolling updates, policies, something in place where you can say, if this fails, it's like a health check. I automatically roll back to one zero, or uh, issue something like this, or is it uh, uh, application specific? You know what I mean. This is yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, this is more application specific. Um, this it's not really specified how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, we had in the past we had a server where we did things as we we did this rolling updates, um, and we usually did it like we we installed a new new software bundles um but just 
you have the different states, it's just there and installed, then we basically stopped the old bundles, mm -hmm. started the new bundles, and after every check, everything's checked out, then we uninstalled the old bundles. Mm -hmm. So everything had been there, so if things have failed, we could have basically rolled back the whole thing in a short matter of time and restart the, the old system or the parts of the system that had been renewed. Um, so everything would have been, been back to... But you had uh, load balancer something... then, right? You had, to, you had a load balancer between two systems, or was it in the system inside? So you run two bundle versions at the same time, and the proxy dispatched that. You know what I mean? So if you have a load balancer yeah, uh... in two systems... It's boring. It's not OSGI like. But yeah, usually, usually when during this process we basically block this specific node, which is currently had been uh, under update. Um, you can do it with, with how you describe that you have a proxy in between mm -hmm. and multiple versions running and, and decide which version to use. So you can do this on the software level. Uh, but this I've tried it out as a yeah a demo case. But this is in reality. Um, most people don't really do it. They just deploy it as yeah, a whole. This will be, uh, this will be more exciting. Because you, you can do it, but the, the amount of complexity this adds is rarely, rarely worth it. So yeah. when you see it over the overall system, like your, the Netflix uh, stack or things like that, there it would make sense to do it like this um, in the old distributed world, but doing this in your one server. So when would you just exchange one class in your war file? So... Yeah, uh, no, nobody really. No, it's but it's rare that somebody would do. But this is a different like mindset, that. I think. OSGI is like the mindset on dynamic and uh, multiple versions of the same bundle at the same time, and the uh, application server is more like nowadays immutable. So there is no, you know, no hot deployments. You're just rolling forward. So you always, uh, um, if there is a patch, you ship a new version. This is what happens in all my projects. So I was curious about, you know, the yeah. OSGI. Uh, OSGI mindset. And by the way, this is how I killed most most of the OSGI projects 15 years ago because they wanted you know, to have OSGI. They say, look, we can replace the bundles in a running system. It's like, what if the bundle takes you no know, 10 seconds to boot? And they say, yeah, the proxy could take all the transactions and then wait until the other becomes available. It's like, yeah, but under heavy load, forget it. And what happens, uh, you need a rollback and commit is not that easy. And there was no answers for that back then. And there are still no answers. So the safest is really have a load balancer and have an update uh, in, in one system. But what's maybe what uh, OSGI helps us with, the versions are more defined. So if you don't have OSGI, yeah. uh, you have to think about you know, in what is the version of the system? Um, I was um, uh, in uh, at the beginning of microservices. So uh, interestingly, if you have uh, Java E, then uh, you know, you know, this is my application server. Let's say Payara version five one something. Mm -hmm. And if you know this, you can look up which uh, the libraries are inside. And mm -hmm. then in my war, I just said I would like to have Java E eight. And there were no dependencies. So what it means, if we build microservices with Java E, we exactly knew what runs in production. If there was a security patch, it was very easy to identify which bundle or which bundles, which runtimes were active right now. <laughs> with uh, mm -hmm. Fed jars on Uber jars projects, they had no idea what's running in production. Because uh, they used to know their own runtime. Everything was uh, created in a in, in a Uber jar back then. The jar was started in production, and there was no there was no list of dependencies. So if there was a security issue, no one knew what's running in production. So mm -hmm. now with um, 
with uh, Quarkus and Micronode, this is similar. So at least I, if I know you know the version of Quarkus, I know all the dependencies. I have to be a little bit careful because uh, I can do more in my POM. So what, usually what Quarkus, Micronaut, what or Helidon, what they are doing is, it's not like you're saying, I have one dependencies micro profile. You have to add, you know, small right 10 dependencies, and this is your micro profile set. Mm -hmm. But it's still somehow defined. But um, um, what I usually do, I also couple it with a commit ID or whatever. But in OSGI case, it's even better because per definition, at least, you know, the, if you have a monolithic OSGI deployment, just one huge bundle, this bundle has to have a version per definition, right? So it's, it's easier to know what my what are my dependencies in production. So if if you know if there's yeah. a log for J or whatever issue, it should be very easy to yeah. identify what actually is. And uh, the follow up question is: Can I ask the OSGI runtime at uh, the OSGI runtime? Give me please a list or the registry or whoever list of all the dependencies with versions. This would be helpful in production. Yes. Um, you you can do this in also at uh pro, also in at runtime, uh you can a you can always see what bundles are there. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. But so how you can see? Is, is it like a call, a REST call, or uh, you 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 can introspect uh, programmatically mm -hmm. the framework, or we have the, the the most common case is the uh Google console. So you have like a shell mm -hmm. you can inter uh, interact with. You can connect to it remotely if you want. Or there's also the so-called web console, which is just a yes. web interface. But what I what I would what expect inside your bundle that the is, service registry um, is a standard OSGI, right? Yes. So then if there is a method give me all registered bundles. And this method returns the bundles with versions. And then, uh, you know, web console or shell or rest is like adapters to this, you know, functionality. Exactly. So this is what it is. So they, they all use the same mechanisms underneath. Yeah, so but, but there is a defined mechanism for it, right? You have a standard API. Yes, definitely. Okay, this is this is, this is what I want to hear yes. because, of course... And, and you can even go... Uh, so, sorry to interrupt no. you. You can even go a bit further. This is what really comes in handy. Um, you can ask the system at runtime which bundle and which package is provided in which version and who's used by whom. Exactly. So you can exactly see who is connected to, so I, somebody is uh, providing a package ABC, mm -hmm. and you can exactly see who is using this package in this version at this moment. Yeah. So, and you, and this is this is really helpful. And on the other hand, you can at uh, development time or at, at build time, you have um, how, how we usually as you, you have different. You, you can have something like Carafe. You have uh, mm -hmm. batteries included OCI environment where you can deploy things in. Uh, we usually do, do go a different route. We write our, for example, our REST bundle, and then you have the so-called resolver. I believe I briefly talked about previously, uh, where you can say, hey. I have this bundle here. Please give me everything which is required to run this bundle or this set set of bundles which comprise my application. Mm -hmm. So and then the resolver comes around, looks at the contracts, and says, "Okay, we need a web server. So we pull in a jetty. We need A, B, C, D, JPA, and whatever you're using in there, and returns a list of oh, okay, these are all the bundles that you require in order to run your application, and you get a." quite comprehensive view on why it is pulling these things in and you can look at this list and can ask this list okay why are you using this specific bundle and it will tell you okay i use this because somebody here somebody asked for this then this came out of this and somebody asked for this because of and you get the all the informations why things are in there which is really helpful when you find to try to find out why the hell some 
dependency is in your system. Yeah, this is what I'm interested um, in. No, what, what I'm interested in is not what the runtime is able to do. What is the standard? Because if we have a standard method, we can always expose it via JAXRS or whatever. Have you JMX or I, I don't care. So, yeah. But this is what you could do with it is every morning you can look at the you know, public CVE database watch you know the dependencies then ask your runtime uh do we have do, do we have you know this dependency or or other way around ask your runtime first give me the list of all external dependencies then go to the cve uh, database and say okay do we have a problem or not and if we have a problem with osgi i could actually create a report we need to patch exactly these bundles and whether you patch you yeah. know the the entire thing or just the bundle is up to you but uh this is the you know the first killer feature today of OSGI, right? So it's really true because, uh, uh, for instance, in, in my world, such a thing is indirectly available, right? I have to know mm-hmm. which uh, Quarkus version I have or, or, or Micronode version that there is. Then I can look up, okay, if I have this version, then this micro profile is used and this this external uh, implementation is used. So I can, I can, you know, find it out indirectly. But in OSGI case, I could actually at any time in real time I can check what is actually in production. Which actually a really good idea. I never thought about it. And then... I believe uh, we should implement something like this. And <laughs> compliance. So this is getting more and more. I'm, I'm more and more in projects mm-hmm. which are somehow problematic from security perspective and stuff like that. So uh, for compliance reasons, mm-hmm. for audits, you can say, look, this is what we have in production. This is you know, the true mm-hmm. list of dependencies. And uh, this is like it is. There is no way around. So uh, for the other runtimes it is harder, you know, to tell what's in production, right? Yeah. Another thing. And you can actually even fix this and say, hey, if somebody comes around and tries to put in malicious code or mm-hmm. something like this, always check that my bundles have exactly the signature that I told the system before that they should have. And things exactly. Like so, and another uh, thing is, which um, I don't know whether you are aware of, there are services on AWS like AWS Config. What they are doing, they are constantly monitoring whether your system is in desired state. So what you can do as OSGI, mm-hmm. exactly the same. We can say, uh, okay, um, I don't want to have, let's say, Lombok <laughs> in my project, mm-hmm. right? So um, you can yeah. say, if you if someone deploys that, you will find it out because uh, without code review, because you can ask at runtime with a small plugin and say, okay, Lombok is actually uh, not a part of our policy or whatever, don't use it. Or Log4j yeah. with critical version, maybe more fair example or something like this, right? So... Yeah. Another thing to have a, to, to draw you know, the parallels to the cloud is in uh, Kubernetes and OpenShift and, and Fargate and whatever, what we use a lot always is infrastructure uh, as code, IAC. So, and there are great, great mm-hmm. tools like, uh, let's say, Pulumi, Terraform, or CDK or CloudFormation. And how, how they look like, you have the desired state on your machine. And the state is synchronized with the cloud APIs, right? So, uh, yes, mm-hmm. so recently Pulumi support for Java came out for the clouds. and But I'm talking here about clouds, OpenShift, you know, like uh, whatever has an API. We already found out that OSGI has a service API, which is standard. Mm-hmm. So what you could actually do is you could consider your OSGI runtime as a Kubernetes runtime. And they say, okay, um, this is like Kubernetes, but it's called OSGI. And now I could have, you know, my uh, my resources defined as uh, Pulumi or Terraform resources. 
and say, okay, I would like to have this bundle in this version and uh, and expose via this thing, and you have the state they defined this uh, in a description outside, and then mm-hmm. your environment would look like this, you know, one load balancer, two OSGI runtimes with all the de- dependencies. This is mm-hmm. what I missed in application servers. What I wanted to have back then, there was deployment API, and this deployment API was deprecated, but it happened 10 years ago. My idea was, you know, to have an application server running, and then we have CI/CD pipeline with Jenkins, and we could automatically configure the application from outside the server. Yeah. I didn't want it to, fi- yeah. to to fiddle, you know, with the XML and all the deployment descriptors. I wanted to say, look, what, um, an application server was for me like a cloud. Like, uh, just imagine data source to a database, right? So I could say, in order to make it run, my application. I would like, you know, 10 connections to the database with using impossible disk credentials and so forth. And this was my idea that there is a standardized API to all application servers and um, I can just provision them and then deploy my app. But you could actually do it, right, mm-hmm. with OSGI. So, yeah, we can. So and there are systems out there that do exactly this. Yeah, but... The, so you can... Yeah, I know. We have, we have a new... Um, and yeah... <laughs> This, uh, there's also we have now a specification called a feature. Uh, there are features around for for ages. So which is kind of uh, my, my overall deployment descriptor. And this is a combination of all these things. Like okay, I can tell it these are my bundles I want to have in there, and these are my configurations I want to have in there as well. So this is my database connection, or or you can configure whatever you like, and then the system tries to resolve what's not in there against the repositories you tell it. So you only need to write in there the things you definitely need. <laughs> Uh, you don't have to define the whole, uh, and uh, the system will take care of the rest, basically, mm-hmm. and launch and install these things. And you can also distribute them mm-hmm. to different systems. I don't know about this and feature. By the way, just uh, hmm? just just a minor thing. If somebody's interested, and also if you're interested, to, to, because of the uh, introspection of the system, there is a project called, uh, as if you go on OSGI.fx, uh, they, they have a few screenshots on how such an introspection of the system could look like. So it's a JavaFX uh, application which introspects your OSGI framework for, uh, via some kind of agent. Um, and this is what you can get out of it. So you see the connections, who is using what, which services are there, mm-hmm. and all these things. So if somebody's interested in so having put, something... Put me into the chat. I will put it yeah. also to the show notes. But, um, I mean, you know, yeah, we'll the do. visual thing is interesting, but the automation will be the killer feature. You can sell, you know, yeah, in the CI/CD a commercial product, which has be- before I'm shipping. Um, th- there are the rules, and uh, and we know exactly what's inside. And this is, you know, the report. And if there's a violation, and you can, of course, you know, in real time ask, you know, the CV database or whatever, because this is where OSGI shines, and this is what you know the others are not as good. So, and of course, OSGI FX, FX uh, uh, looks nice. But uh, the others would be more... I, I think the future is in automation, or future, it already is. So whatever yeah. I do, I try to automate, and not necessary because it's easy or whatever, but it's repeatable, and this is documented. That's the cool stuff, you know? Yeah. And um, w- what I do a lot, um, it is a completely different topic right now, but um, I have to work with clouds. And for instance, at AWS, there is a CDK, Cloud Development Kit, and you can use Java to describe the cloud. And this has great, great mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, success among Java developers because, you know, they define this. It looks like, you know, you say, uh, let's say, uh, bucket.builder.create and you can specify is it public or not with permissions or, or function or whatever. And um, actually, you could do the same with OSGI. That you, you write a Java code 
to describe your environment. And uh, then you have, you know, the, the environment is there and then you can ship your bundles. So whatever we talk now. Yes. Yeah. And because then OSGI becomes the cloud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the funny thing. What, all of the things you describe are out there quite for some time. There are a couple of companies that try to establish such systems. They lost against Kubernetes in the end yeah. uh, and, and things like this. Uh, because of missing popularity and not that much money behind the whole thing. But all these things are possible for, for uh, ages, basically, with OSGI. And this is uh, one, one of the contentious areas. Uh, we, we basically, OSGI invented the service-driven uh, development uh, 25 years ago, and then SOA came around and... Oh, and uh, but I don't think it was OSGI, Jürgen. <laughs> also, you have Taekwondo then too, but now I am no, no more, you know, I, I am no, not afraid of you. Because it's not that they invented the, the concept. That this Genie, is not what, what Java I'm saying, Intelligent but, uh, Network Infrastructure was before, I guess. There, there might be something before, but uh, usually with the OCI had been the first system which really had been capable of doing these things in a comprehensive manner. Maybe not the perfect one and maybe not the first one, but it's usually somebody came around and, and took the world from us. <laughs> so yeah. later on, microservices came by Martin Fowler and uh, the, with his definition, and it had been a huge discussion around the thing. Because um, uh, the, 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 I, I, can, I, can, I can tell you why. Yeah. By the way, I'm no more afraid of you because you told me, you know, your Taekwondo is Moya Gyoga, you cannot hit me. So, you know, uh, uh, now I can I can speak against you. <laughs> I, I can, I can Tickle, I can tickle your nose with my feet if it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Why are you saying? Genie, Genie was the great technology ever. I was a huge proponent. Java Intelligent Network Infrastructure. You have to look at this. I, I still stealing ideas from Genie in my projects. So I tell you how Genie. You know Genie. I, I, it, it rings a bell, but yeah, I Java Intelligent Network it, Infrastructure, I, and there's Apache River project was the open source version. Just to briefly, mm -hmm. what they did, it was genius. You publish a Java interface, and it became uh, visible in Genie uh, registry, and um, and whatever you did, you had to publish. Now, um, in order to remain in the registry, you had to republish it over and over again, every two seconds. Mm -hmm. What means if the service uh, was killed? it automatically disappeared from the registry. And this was called, mm -hmm. uh, this was called uh, leasing. So you had to lease a service. If you wanted to have a service from the other side, you, always, you also had to lease the service. And if, the, uh, and, and if you forgot to lease it, right? So it, uh, it became mm -hmm. unavailable for you. So we had something like distributed garbage collection out of the box, and this was in 1999. Now, um, mm -hmm. then you can ask the registry, give me, please, you know, the interface. Okay, back then you got RMI proxy and you could call, you know, the service. It was like SOA before SOA. The problem was Sun was not capable to sell this. And uh, I was at conferences mm -hmm. back then and they, you know, they, they promoted this as a way to distribute printer drivers or something crazy stuff. I mean, no one, no one wanted to have that. Or they had, you know, at, at, the, at the conference... They have a Kodak cameras back then, which say, okay, the drivers are distributed mm -hmm. with Genius. Like, who cares about that? But this was way before SOA and before Java E. But I still use, you know, the ideas in my project. There was a Java Spaces implementation, which is basically mm -hmm. a distributed hash map with transactions. And this was in place. So, and then OSGI came two years later. This was to my, to my, to my thing. And why OSGI was not, not um, um, successful? Because it came too late. This was the problem. So in my projects, I had, you know, uh, the, the, the wars in Java East and everything. We, we had already the services. And I remember back then, WebLogic 
they uh, it was before Oracle bought them, I think. They said, okay, now we are going to use a service uh, framework from OSGI internally, and we could use no OSGI, but it's like, why we should use OSGI? We have already wars. So we had two competing technologies in one runtime. This was the problem. And um, of course, the vendors, they used OSGI internally. But for me, why I should use OSGI, right? I was happy with the war. I had one, my monolith and uh, I could. I was very happy in production. But uh, let's say now, yeah, we say if the problem is, you know, that the teams have to work in isolation, then OSGI is, becomes the solution again. And with you no know, additional features like policies and audits and infrastructure as code, it, it becomes maybe relevant again, not only relevant, it becomes, you know, the killer feature because the, I don't know whether you know, the, you know, the Python dependency management and, and node dependency management is, is not as great as Java. Mm-hmm. So we have to, it is like it is, right? Yeah. And, um, and with the ability to tell me, you know, which is really in production, this is like, you know, highly secure environment, I would say. And, um, mm-hmm. which, um, you could even assume it would be easier also to lock down all the dependencies, right? You can say, I only allow this exact dependency graph and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is, we basically came full circle now because I believe in our first... Uh, late, uh, the last thing, because uh, why it was not successful? What I think what you should change the strategy is, if you pick infrastructure as code, I will pick Pulumis because very modern or, or Terraform, and just write the providers for it, you know? I don't think if you introduce another tool, it is going to be accepted in the community. But if you write a plugin yeah. to an existing tool, this could be, this is what I just wanted to, to sorry it's, for the interruption. That, 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 that's what we, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, first of to the regarding the, the history, so it was well before my time, so I can't really tell anything to this, but a lot of the, what I've, I just uh, looked it up uh, while we had, you've been talking. Genie Cup, it rings a bell, and I believe a lot of these concepts also found their way into the what, what we do in OSGI. Uh, but I can't speak to that. I haven't been around. Yeah, you have to look it up. So, Search uh, for but, Genie and Leasing and Apache River. You will like it. Yeah, I, and, and as you described the process, uh, as, as you described the whole concept, it, it rang a bell, and somebody told me already about it. So it, I believe it was somebody from the OSGI line. But... Um, that's that's uh, water down the river. Um, but what, what I realized, we basically came just full circle because as in our first chat we had, um, do you remember that I started by okay, we already have dependency management in with with Maven, but uh, and OCI is dependency management at runtime, mm-hmm. and this is what you actually described mm-hmm. now. <laughs> so this the disordered functions and everything is there. Um, but yeah, the other thing, uh, which you said with connectors to Terraform, uh, this is something we'd love to work on. So, um, OCI itself is just a standard, which should be technology agnostic as much as possible, but thinking as doing things like this would be great. Uh, we unfortunately, as we, as, as my company don't really have the time to get into all these things no, so I'd love to but, do R&D uh, all day long to do no but how, the, how does it usually like work this were my questions but, uh, before um, how does it usually work uh, Pulumi or Terraform and Pulumi by the way they released recently you have to listen to the last podcast uh, with the uh, with the CEO with the with the founder of uh, Pulumi they have full Java support right now which is great and um, and uh, and um, it's called P-U-L-U-M-I and Terraform is also great but it's older it's like already 12 years old but how mm-hmm. they are working is they're calling REST interfaces so this is my question so if you expose OSGI via REST 
then you can write the resources around that and basically how this would look like, like someone would, you know, locally invoke your SGI service definitions via Terraform. Mm -hmm. And what the Pulumi and Terraforms are doing, you are just specify, I would like to have, you know, um, two nodes in production. And it reconciliates the state between your state, your, your desired state and the actual state. It's not like they're calling the API. Mm -hmm. You are defining, I would like to have two nodes in production. And they are monitoring that and uh, no, monitoring that. And they, and if you change in the OSGI console to three and run, you know, Pulumi or Terraform again, you will find two again. So it's not like they are calling the API. It is not imperative. It is declarative, which makes a huge difference. Okay, so you de declare your... Yeah. And, uh, sorry, you've lost me somehow, um, <laughs> I have to admit. Uh, for so, instance, um, the difference is, uh, let's uh, you know S3 bucket, right? This is just a folder in the cloud. Very simple. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you do it imperatively, you would uh, call the uh, Amazon SDK and say, I, I need an S3 bucket. But because the bucket has to be with a new unique name, you can only do it once. The other ones, you will have to mm -hmm. write a code like, is the bucket already there? If, then do it. Otherwise, not. Now, if someone depends yeah. on your bucket, let's say you see this is your Docker registry, actually needs the bucket uh, under the hood, but let's assume you will have to do it. Then you have to create, okay, mm -hmm. I create the bucket first. If the bucket exists, then I can create a Docker registry. And uh, if the Docker registry is already, you will need already two if-else, which gets crazy complex. Terraform and Pulumi, mm -hmm. you just say, I need a bucket. And I need a Docker registry. This is, and and they store the state like you know JPA state for you. This is very similar to JPA in the cloud. And uh, and then if someone changes the state, they say okay, uh, we need we need you know uh, let's say you rename the bucket. That they look at the state and say okay, in order to rename the bucket, I will have to destroy it and recreate it, or they know no, I only have to re to to change the name. It depends on the resource. So mm -hmm. you have in your declaration in Terraform or Pulumi, in uh, Terraform is like, uh, it's not Java. In, in, in Pulumi, the cool story is actually Java. So you have your bucket with your name. And if you change the name, it looks okay. Uh, my name changed locally, but in the cloud, there is still the old name. So they know, okay, then I will call the cloud and just rename the bucket. Ah, okay, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. you know, so you no, don't, I... you, you're not programming what to do to achieve that you only declare the de desired state. Or simpler, in our world, yeah. you know, data source, right? If we have a data source with Terraform or Pulumi, you could say the, uh, the amount of connection is 10, right? Just this. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you would like to have 20. Then it looks 20, occurring in the cloud at 10. Then it goes to the cloud and just changes the data source from 20 to 10. Yeah. But because it knows, okay, but in Whitefly, I will have to restart the, restart the Whitefly to also restart the Whitefly because it knows already. So this is actually the, mm -hmm. uh, this is how it works. But if it it wouldn't be declarative, imperative, then you will have to code it, right? So it's like, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is the, is, okay, it, now I get it, yes. Yeah, yes, this would yes, be terrible. Yeah. So if the data source is there, then I can change it. If it's not there, I create it first and then change it. So it would be crazy complex, forget it. And this is the declarative thing. And I think you can plug your service mechanism to Pulumi. It's pure Java, let's say. Or um, And um, yeah, it only makes sense in Pulumi. Terraform, they have own language. You could also do this. And um, then you will have to call your remote interfaces. This is the only thing you have to do. And Pulumi or Terraform care about the state. Yes, this seems totally feasible. 
Um, I don't know how the, it should be more popular I, than any attempt to do it by yourself because you will fail. There's a lot, uh, a lot too complex. Yeah, I I think so as well. So I usually when I look what everybody is doing with Kubernetes and with all these uh, um, different approaches to configuring your complex systems. I often have the feeling that the same people are turning on their heels when you describe OSGI, which does exactly that, and say, no, OSGI is shit. <laughs> so and I ask myself, why? <laughs> because it's it's doing the same things. You can use it to achieve your goals, and you have it already a lot of the kinks work out, worked out uh, of the system, and you can... Also, you, you can just plug it in what you are already doing. So, and we also realized so the first attempt uh, of of doing what Kubernetes and things and and everything does uh, was like having OSGI underneath it and let it control the environment. Now I think okay, we we now have all these different tools that are there and they that are there to stay. Why why not try to plug it in and uh, make it part of the overall system. Yeah, I think um, we had already this discussion with um, it was uh, with Bruno Borges and Bruno told me he's a from um, he's an Asia manager uh, or a Java mm -hmm. manager at Microsoft and told me, okay, we have to keep, you know, development uh, excited about the thing. So I, I think the problem is uh, developers are chasing new buzzwords and not necessary solutions. Yeah. And OSGI yeah. had really, I, I was absolutely not interested in OSGI because it didn't solve none of my pro problems back then. Now, now with the uh, listing of the dependencies, I could see, you know, okay, there are some killer use cases which could be helpful in critical projects. And uh, and before I, I, I do Kubernetes, I do OSGI, right? So <laughs> this is like, uh, like, uh, <laughs> like, like for me, the, the, I applaud from my side. Yeah. And, um, and, and now you understand also why I'm not that, you know, interested in uh, Kubernetes because with the declarative stuff I told you, if you provision the cloud, mm -hmm. we would provision first the uh, cloud and then we will have to provision Kubernetes. So there are actually two stages. Mm -hmm. And um, and the Kubernetes is like entire cloud inside, so they do everything inside, right? So, for instance, on uh, Amazon, there is a CDK cloud development kit. What we talk about is very similar to Terraform, um, but for uh, mm -hmm. AWS for the cloud. And there's one CDK for Kubernetes. So I actually will have to use you no know, one CDK to provision my networking, whatever, and the other one for Kubernetes, which for me is okay. This is pointless. I've, why I should do this, right? I mean, this is like yeah. uh, defeats the purpose. But um, with uh, uh, with OSGI, I could see this because I could provision not Kubernetes rather than Fargate, which is just two Docker containers. And then with OSGI, I can say, okay, this is the runtime environment for, for the OSGI. And then I can use you know, another uh, resource to provision my OSGI runtime and with all the dependencies, yeah. whatever makes sense. Um, and and this, 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 this should work actually fine after the discussion today. Yeah, I, I think so too. So I really love working on, on this, but uh, yeah, it's unfortunately too, too many other projects. No, no, it's just ideas. Uh, it's just the, ideas. And for me, it's all... Uh, yeah, yeah but I love the, this idea. So we, we basically floated uh, some of these ideas uh, around ourselves, uh, but yeah, I haven't really gotten around really doing it. And I don't know of other people that are actually doing it. So, you have contact uh, Romain, yeah, uh, Mani Bukow. I think he's... Yeah, I, I definitely have to because we are having some things in place already which might help along this road and uh, we, we need to find uh, an, uh, a volunteer army mm -hmm. <laughs> to to, uh, to drive these ideas. Perfect. Um, it was a great discussion. Uh, I'm out of my yeah. ideas. So <laughs> where people uh, would... Uh, um, 
uh, can find you on the internet. And also, if we, if some in the listeners has a uh, higher Dan than yours, this is Dan, right? This is the 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 uh, Taekwondo is also has Dan's no Dan, yeah, yes. oh Dan, okay. If someone ah, has the fourth Dan, he could also challenge you that you get the, also your fourth Dan, right? No. Your third, in, in my case, because I have the second ah, done. We need I someone from the listenership to the... with the third done who could challenge you. <laughs> no, I already have, I already have people, but uh, be, before I could do it, then Corona hit and all the on-site events ah. where I would have got the chance had been cancelled and now I have to okay. basically get back into So the, the AXFM uh, so, listenership cannot help you with your dance, but at least... No, they, they don't, <laughs> they don't have to. At least infrastructure but, um, code, you know? Yes, <laughs> they're, they're, help is welcome and all the ideas. So uh, and also, I'd like to use the chance uh, for for some uh, uh, marketing here. Mm -hmm. If somebody is interested in the ideas behind the OCI, we are now a working group. Means we are an open source project. Everybody can join. Uh, we have the technology project where we discuss the specifications. This is open for everybody to attend the meetings. Uh, we meet every two weeks. Uh, also, this year, the, OCI, uh, the EclipseCon is again in Ludwigsburg, mm -hmm. where it is an on-site meeting, so you can find us there. Uh, please contact us. Uh, we are a volunteer army. Everybody's welcome. Uh, please join us. What, 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 in some way, shape what the, no, the uh, no, attendee, how to call it, how to contributors can expect? So if I would join your uh, Eclipse, uh, Eclipse OSJ effort, they can work on proof of concepts or on the spec or what? What, what they can do? Um, we have a couple of fields that uh, where we need support. So one thing is, uh, yeah, the, the basic purpose is specification writing. So if you have ideas for speci uh, specifying things, uh, this is where, the, where we would need to do it. Um, also, if you want to provide implementations or tooling for different things working with OCI, we have this OCI technology project, which can be a home for things like this, and you would get the support of the, the experts, I would call it. Mm -hmm. uh, so the people who know what's what and how things can be done. And also, if you are just a fan of OCI and like to see it flourish more, then uh, we also need help in community building. So okay. we are, at the moment, a relatively small group, and the more people, the, the better it gets. So you will send me the links I will put in the show notes. If someone is interested, can just click on the link and yeah. we'll work with you on infrastructure code and all the great stuff we discuss here in the podcast. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to okay. <laughs> seeing new faces. <laughs> thank you. See you next time. Okay, thank you. <laughs>